Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, the voice of Hera on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Living Force Podcast. Know the code. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. Tarabast, a Utini Podcast Network production. All right, everybody, gear up. We're going out there. Episode 128, Out of the Shadows Roundtable. I believe I can learn to use that sword. On this episode, new Star Wars books are out. So you do know what the Darksaber is. New Patreons and upgrades. I will start my operations here and pull the rebels apart piece by piece. And the Utini crew talks about Out of the Shadows by Justina Ireland. That's the first good news I've gotten today. And now, here are your hosts. Dr. Corey Helton. Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Henkel, and Wes Jenkins. Utini! Hello, everyone! Welcome to the Living Force, a Utini Network podcast production. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight to talk all about the not-anymore-latest addition to the High Republic, because things come out every week now, uh, is the full cast of characters on this show once more. We are now reunited with Dr. Corey Helton. Hey, man, welcome hello, hello. back! Thank you, thank you. Hello, everyone. Good to be here on another Monday night. Eric and I were talking before the show saying it feels like it has been ages since all of us have been together. I missed you guys, man. I missed you. My my weeks are empty and my heart is sad, but it gets a little happier now that Dr. Charles Hankel is back, nice and sleep-deprived, as always. Hello, yes, I am sleep-deprived. Happy Monday, happy Labor Day, happy Out of the Shadows Day. That sounds much more cool and ominous. Let's Let's go with that. That does sound really cool and ominous, but it couldn't hope to ever be cooler than the ice-cold, awesome realness that is Wes Jenkins making up the fourth member of our crew. Welcome, everyone. Happy Labor Day. Yeah. Yeah. Happy Labor Day to everybody who celebrates Labor Day, because it's a great day to not go to work. It absolutely (laughs) is. There's no labor at all. is Labor Day? I don't even understand what this holiday is. It's a celebration of, of like... Unions, especially like the implementation mm. of like labor unions and people That's fighting for workers' rights. Yeah, um, totally union. Yeah, if you're sounds, listening, that sounds this, good. It is. If you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, here's a healthy reminder: use your PTO. You don't owe your company every second of your life. Uh, use your what, time off. What's PTO? Paid time Paid. off. <laughs> oh yeah, you're a doctor. Oh, yeah. Never mind. Sorry, That's what regular here, jobs here, give people for vacation. <laughs> now enjoy your alcohol. Charles, you ever heard of that? I'm, I'm not sure where this PTO business is. I don't even know what TO is, let alone PTO. <laughs> That's Terrell Owens. Um, hello to everyone in the chat as well, including Michael, who says he's wearing the same shirt as me. Uh, for those of you on video, this is my new Star Wars Vision shirt I got on the shirt. old Amazon. Uh, this features the Ronin and the hat droid. There he is uh, from the dual short that is also going to be featured in the upcoming novel, Star Wars Visions Ronin. Which uh, myself and a good amount of people online just got to review copies of this week. We cannot say anything about it until the end of the month. But I will say I'm very excited uh, for the review uh, to be written. Yeah, that's all I can say. Uh, pre-orders <laughs> are up now. Get that book. Uh, before we get into the roundtable, though, because this is a one-part roundtable tonight. We're going to do the whole thing. Corey, you had to leave in the middle of last week's show out of nowhere. This has never happened before. So we just wanted to give you a second to tell the listeners uh, if you're okay to kind of say what's going on because it was pretty abrupt. We just want to like clear no, the air. No, I, I, well, I'm, not, I'm not okay, but you know, this well, is just the baseline. Sure. You know, generally, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So that pretty unprecedented. This never happened before. That one nope. of us have had to leave in the middle of a live show. 128 episodes. We've never had to do that before. 
Um, pretty wild that it happened. Yeah. Uh, long story short, my wife got crazy, crazy sick. So sick she did, could she didn't feel like she could drive home safely. Um, so uh, I had to abruptly leave in the middle of the show and go pick her up. And uh, she's doing much better now. She's good. Um, we had a bit of a COVID scare. We thought she might have had COVID. She had some pretty severe GI symptoms, and uh, but we did get her tested, and she was negative. So that's good. That's good. Everything is good now. Caitlin's good. I'm good. Hopefully, we won't have to do it again. But We're I do have to say, <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're all fine here now. Uh, fantastic work, you guys, Wes and Eric. Like, thanks, man. Like, Thank you. It, I can't. I can't believe that it worked out as well as it did. Like. Just so, you know, some tech transparency, the stream was all still operating from my computer that Wes was controlling remotely, and it worked, and it stayed up, and I wasn't even here in front of my computer, which is a huge risk, and uh, it worked out well, so you guys had a it good was, episode. It and, was really good. It's also good to know yeah. that you two are not the two in the friend group who aren't actually friends when you're alone. You know how in every big group of friends, there's two people that yeah. just happen to be friends with everyone else, but they're oh. not friends? It's not, it's oh my not God, you two. Yes. That means it's oh. it's maybe involving me and Corey. I don't know. We'll I was going to say, is it the yep. two of us? Is it us? <laughs> well, it's like I don't know. Yeah, we, ha- we, we have been in the same city, and you weren't interested in coming to visit me. So, I mean, oh, my God. See, it's that's coming out now. <laughs> yeah. It's that moment where everyone cancels brunch except for two people, and you're like, are we staying? <laughs> or do we like... <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad uh, the show was still a blast. Uh, was also still like, I guess, a blast. The weird thing for last week's show it was a little more of an emotional show. Um, but we got a lot of good feedback from it. I'm glad it helped a lot yeah. of you out with what you're going through. Um, and we love you. So we're glad to be back with a full uh, squadron this week. A couple of reminders before we get into the main meat of the show. Tomorrow. Uh, is September 7th as of recording. We got a lot of releases coming up we're going to talk about later on in the show. But the main release we want to highlight on this show is The Life Day Treasury from George Mann and Kevin Scott and artist Grant Griffin. It will be coming out tomorrow. It is continuing the, the trajectory of the Myths and Fables and Dark Legends books that are a bunch of short stories in the Star Wars universe and like the Myths, Legends era kind of thing. Um, written by George Mann and Kevin Scott together. And if you've been following their friendship online, you know how close they are. Um, my written review as well as a video review by our very own Caroline uh, will be going up tomorrow on our YouTube channel so stay tuned to Utini to hear what we thought of it a little preview I thought it was really lovely and I had no idea how bad I needed a holiday book in the middle of September so yeah <laughs> um, if you, uh, you know, go ahead I was gonna say I'm not sure if you guys know know this we had a very interesting discussion uh, with our database and timeline team this week about this book um, because it's, it's one of those weird legends books. I mean, like one of those weird canon books that's technically canon because it's, you know, in modern star Wars, mm-hmm. but also like not really like truly canon. Like the timeline placement is really challenging. And, uh, this whole category that this entire kind of book, all these George Mann books, these legend kind of ish myths mm-hmm. books, like following is quickly becoming like kind of its own category in star Wars storytelling. Uh, we specifically had this whole conversation because uh, Ronan is also very difficult to place on the mm-hmm. timeline. Like it, it has some challenging uh, because it's it's this weird legends canon thing, right? And you know, it's kind of interesting to see that we're getting this sort of weird category of books that like doesn't actually belong in the timeline anywhere. Um, yeah, in, in Star Wars storytelling, so and it's, it's pretty cool. It's fun because it is kind of creating legends canon and then and then canon myth. Because, like, uh, from the beginning of this series, George Mann has always said he's writing these tales basically thinking these are the tales they get told in-universe to people and children in, in yeah. the Star Wars galaxy. So uh, that's, uh, they continue that with this book, 
And especially, uh, I wrote this in my review, if you are someone who wasn't able to see family or friends or loved ones during the last year because of COVID over the holidays and you've been missing that, this is kind of exactly the book you need. It reminds you what the holidays bring that a lot of us kind of didn't get to get and hopefully knock on everything uh, and get your vaccines. Uh, we'll be able to, you know, be re-upped in this next holiday season. So that comes out tomorrow. Pre-order is available at utini.com right now. All right, our Patreon community, we love you. We hope you're doing well. Uh, we want to thank a couple new patrons. We had Gavin McFadden, was a new monthly patron this week, and Cohen Vandeven upgraded to an annual patron from a weekly patron. Right. Um, again, if you become an annual patron, not only does it help us kind of plan our year monetarily as what we can put on the site, it also, like, saves you a bunch of money, and you get a couple months of content for free. So we thank everyone that's done that, including everyone that has allowed us to meet our next community goal. We are meeting about that very soon to find a date for to watch Rogue One together. Um, obviously, with all these releases, it's been very hectic at the Utini quote-unquote offices, uh, but we are going to be meeting to find a time to watch that with you. And, of course... Every single week, we get closer and closer to that Attack of the Clones commentary, which I know just gives Corey an excuse to watch Attack of the Clones with all of us. I am <laughs> so excited to watch Attack of the Clones with you guys because I watched great. this movie. This is I watched. I it, I think Revenge of the Sith is my favorite prequel, but Attack of the Clones I watched the most weirdly. So sure. Like, you know, I watched it over and over again, and there's so many things to talk about in that movie. There really are. The movie. There yeah, really things, are. That's, things that's wrong with Star Wars, <laughs> things that's, that, like, really bad dialogue that is so fun to make fun of in quotes, and, oh my god, I, I can't, I can't wait for that. That's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a blast. Uh, so stay tuned, of course. Every week, we'll bring you updates on our Patreon community to let you know how close we are, and though we do not have a Patreon of the Week this week, we do want to give a quick shout-out to our very own Magdalife, very active member of our community, who is having a birthday so happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. um we hope you choose to spend a little bit of it in the discord with us because we love hanging out with you all right no weekly roundup this week because we're doing a round table but i did want to remind you all as we said about the new releases coming out if you need some more star wars book on your shelf tomorrow you get the life date treasury in the comics world you get the high republic edge of balance the first ever manga in canon uh, for the High Republic, that comes out tomorrow, as well as the next four books in the Essential Legends collection, Dark Force Rising, Rule of Two, Rogue Squadron, and The Last Command. And of course, you can go over to our new releases page to see everything that's coming out. Make sure you get those pre-orders in. I just pre-ordered those Legends Essentials today, myself. So, they'll be showing up tomorrow uh, on the porch. So, can't wait to add all of those. There's so much Star Wars coming out. I can't wait. All right, everyone, as a reminder, if you're on audio, uh, we want to see you in all the UTD Network live shows that are every single week. Uh, the Cosmic Force is on Wednesday evenings, and starting next week, Legends Look Back is back from hiatus. They'll be reinstating uh, their live show. So excited to get that back so you can have three guaranteed live shows a week and some UTD game nights. Every now and then on Fridays, of course, more news on that to come. Wes has been doing all kinds of stuff behind the scenes. And whenever Wes gets up to something, you know, it's going to be very mischievous, but also very high quality. On that, though, Charles, I missed you so dearly last week. I decided to give you a whole show this week to drive the bus. So it's all you, buddy. Let's talk about Out of the Shadows. Let's talk about Out of the Shadows. It is time for the roundtable. But I have one very serious question for those of you that listen to the roundtable. Before I begin this plot synopsis, is it the Barang sector or the Barangi sector? Do we I know? Barang. Uh, I think it said Barang in the audiobook. That's where we're going to sure. go with. All right, I plot synopsis bearing. time. 
Ready? <laughs> go. Silvestri Yarrow and the crew of the Switchback have been struggling ever since the Bind Guild was disbanded, and Chansey, Silvestri's mother, was killed by the Nile. Their bad luck continues when their ship is suddenly pulled from hyperspace in the Barang sector and attacked by Nile yet again, forcing them to abandon ship. Vernesha Rowe and Padawan Emery Kentaros have spent their time since the attack on Valo aboard Starlight Beacon, rubbing elbows with the likes of Avar Chris, but Stellan Geos recalls them to Coruscant for a new mission. Lorna D is touting a new weapon called the Gravity's Heart, but it's not yet finished. She convinces Markian Rowe to let her borrow his oracle, Marie Santeca, to hurry along its completion. Rowe tasks Nan with guarding Santeca until she is safely returned. On the way to Coruscant, Vern and Emery are called to assist an outpost on TK under attack by Nile. En route, Vern suffers a force vision in hyperspace, something that hasn't happened to her in a long time. After chasing off the Nile and saving the outpost, Vern's vision leads her to the discovery of a puzzle box that she believes the Nile were after. While at the outpost, the Jedi meet Jordana Sparkburn, a Santeca who serves as a deputy and who also happens to be Silvestri's ex-girlfriend. Jordana decides to go to Coruscant to report the attack to her superiors. On Coruscant, Silvestri can't seem to find anyone who seems to care about what happened to her in the Barang sector, until Xylan Graf of the well-known hyperspace prospecting Graf family approaches her. His ships have been disappearing, and he thinks Sil's experience is the key to solving the mystery. Though Sil doesn't trust Graf, his exorbitant wealth convinces her to work with him for a while. Graf introduces Sil to Professor Wolk, a Gungan who claims to have been one of Chansey Yara's old teachers. Wolk further reveals that Sil may not have known her mother as well as she thought she did. Using old hollows of Chansey, Wolk reveals a suspicion that Chansey Yaro is still alive and may even be helping the Nile build a super weapon that explains what is happening in the Barang sector. However, shortly after this conversation, Wolk is murdered by a Nile agent. Graf convinces the Republic to sign off on a mission for a team to explore the Barang sector. He hopes to not only discover what's going on, but also to prove that no super weapon is there so the Graf family can obtain the lease to that area of space for their own hyperspace experiments. He's to be accompanied by Vernestra and Emery at the request of Stellan Geos, as well as Wreath Silas and Comag Vitus. Silvestri and Jordana also go along as additional witnesses. On their way, Silvestri discovers their ship isn't headed to the Barang sector at all, but rather to the Graf family compound called Everbloom. When she confronts Graf about this, he smooth-talks his way out of the situation. Vern has yet another hyperspace vision, urging her to find someone and obtain something, but she doesn't know exactly what, nor does she recognize where she was in her vision. Eric, take it away. Let's do it. After arriving at Everbloom, the Nile immediately attack and capture everyone. Jordana, Vern, and Comac are left behind at the Graf compound, while Silvestri, Imri, and Wreath are taken by Chansey to the Gravity's heart. Silvestri comes face to face with her mother, who is face to face with her mother, who is actually alive and working with the Nile, just as Professor Woke suspected. Chansey tries to convince Sil to join her, but Sil refuses. Catriona Graf, matriarch of the Graf family, denies any direct involvement with the Nile and tries to win over the Jedi by using her knowledge of ancient hyperspace prospector signs to open the puzzle box Vern found. Inside is an old hollow of Marie Santeca and a set of coordinates. The Jedi and Jordana decide to travel to the coordinates in hopes of finding the rest of their kidnapped crew. Upon their arrival, they instead find a monstrous cobbled-together space station, the Gravity's Heart. While Vern and Jordana race to board the station, Comac calls in reinforcements from nearby Jedi temples. The girls manage to find Syl, Imri, and Wreath, but not before Jordana uses a special weapon to massacre a room full of Nile. Despite Vern's distress at what she witnessed, 
she feels called to a certain room in the space station. Once there, she discovers Marie Santeca in her medical pod. The woman is rapidly approaching death, but was holding out for Vern. The two share a mental connection, and Marie gives Vern the coordinates for one last path leading to an unknown location. The Jedi arrive, and the gravity's heart is destroyed, but not before the heroes are able to escape. On their way out, they briefly encounter Chansey Yarrow again, who also escapes aboard the switchback. The Jedi return to Coruscant and report back to the Council, but Vern can't quite bring herself to tell them about the hyperspace coordinates she received, nor about her worsening hyperspace visions. Her secrets remain with her for now. Despite the Grath family's fall from grace, Xylan fulfills his promise to Syl by gifting her a new ship. Jordana decides to join Syl as a crew member and, more importantly, as her girlfriend once again. They get a tip from Xylan to go to Takadana to seek out business from none other than Maz Kanata. With Marie Santeca dead, Nan is unsure if she can return to Marky and Roe. The Grafts convince her to become an informant for them. The Grafts also reveal that they have built a brand new state-of-the-art laboratory for Chansey Yarrow to continue her hyperspace experiments, and by using information they were able to obtain from studying Marie Santeca, they hope to build a new, more powerful gravity well projector. Dump, dump, dum. All right, guys. That's what happened in Out of the Shadows. Um, should we do like? Should we all try to harmonize? Is Directed by George Lucas. <laughs> all right. Rather, this has been a Penguin Random House audio production. <laughs> rather than become a uh, quartet of some kind, let's just rate the book on a one to barber ten. Shop like is the word you were looking do. for there, Charles. Yes, thank barber you. Shop. Barber Shop. <laughs> let's rate the book on a one to ten, and y'all can give me brief reasons as to why you feel that way. Uh, Wesley, I'd like to hear from you first, man. Wesley? Okie dokie. Um, so my score will be a 6.9. Um, mm. Right below good, um, but kind of hovering in the in the mediocre area. Okay. Yep. And I will not yep. give my reasons yet because nice. that's what this Play. round table is about. Playing so those cards to... close to the chest. <laughs> All right. All right. Listen, I, uh, I will give my reasons, and I'm going to give this book a 6.8 uh, as well. And, you know, a couple, a couple of small points I'll bring up. Of course, we're going we're gonna to bring this up a lot. We're going to discuss a lot of things in, uh, in this round table. But my number one complaint about this book is the audiobook production. That's was... what I've heard. Something weird, guys. Something yep. weird. My first truly negative experience with an audiobook. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very, very strange. They cut a lot of corners with this audiobook. There's not very many sound effects. The mm. um, There are the no narrator. sound effects, Corey. Yes, there are zero. Oh, that's right. That's right. There's no sound effects. Mm-hmm. It's not what? like the usual high-quality Star Wars music and sound effects. It's not that. It's nothing. It's basically just a narrator. There's no yeah. blaster fire in the back of <clears throat> fights. No, nothing. All. Nothing. None of that stuff. None of that just... stuff, which we're like accustomed to at this point. Yeah, right? we're spoiled, but also like that's what yes. we mm. expect. That was probably um, they, a whiplash the... going from that to Tempest Runner, but... <clears throat> It was. It was a huge whiplash. Yeah. Like the narrator, um, you know, I don't really know anything about her. Like I've never heard her narrate anything else before. She mispronounced a lot of stuff. Like she at the very end of the book she calls Maz Maz multiple times and it drove me nuts. Oh, you know Maz Canada. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, she's over there on fifth. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's one it's one thing to like change the pronunciation from what like the writer says it was. A good example is Martian versus Markian Row. Yep, totally like, right? I mean, even even Tempest Runner says Martian also. I, know. I noticed yeah, that. Yeah, they're, they're doing that now. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, yes. Anyway, she says Maz Kanata. I'm like, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the there's movie, no excuse for that. This shouldn't no excuse for that. It shouldn't take yeah, away so. from your score of the content of the book. <clears throat> all right, all right. Yeah. So let's get into that. Let's get into that briefly. <laughs> briefly, briefly. I, I will say. It felt like I know. I'm sorry. It felt like nothing. I, are we going to talk about the audiobook again? I don't think we are. Like, Probably this is not. It, right. Probably so like not. anyway, okay. that was a. Uh, there has been some criticism of the audiobook production online, and I think some of that is valid. The, the other thing I'll say about the audiobook is uh, the editing is bad. Like they they end a chapter. It's like somebody was looking at the audacity of the like the audio. Right. They were looking at the mm-hmm. audio like waveform or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they they clipped it at the very end as, as, as soon as somebody stopped talking and then started the next one. So it would be like, and then everyone died. Chapter two. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> it, it was like it was like, what the hell? It's like like seriously, there would be a dramatic pause then. Everybody died. Chapter two. Like it was like so <laughs> it split was. second. It was like, what the hell is this? It was ridiculous. So, oh my gosh. Anyway, the all audio the, production was was bad. It's the first quick, bad the audio reviews, production I've ever seen. All the reviews on Audible say the exact same thing as you're saying, and they're all like, I use I love Star Wars audiobooks. What's going on? I love these. This has no idea. Like they're all mm. one star performance, yeah. one star performance, one star wow. performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had no idea. maybe we can. Maybe, maybe this is. Maybe it's a COVID thing, right? This was an audiobook that was produced during COVID. Maybe the narrator did a lot of it at home. But like, I mean, audio yeah. editing and stuff is disappointing. I mean, that, that can be done remotely. They did I mean, it all of Doctor Afra remotely. The audio yeah. drama. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so, it was it was disappointing. It really was. The audiobooks that we listened to in the past, uh, they have sound effects and they have background music and they mm-hmm. have and we are spoiled to death by yeah. mark thompson and his great yeah. voices yeah. so mm-hmm. um that's kind of it, it's kind of up on a tier that we can't really get to unless we get that specialized audio drama stuff that we've listened yeah. to in the past yeah. so if there if you don't have those sound effects in the background then it's gonna you're probably gonna get bad reviews on it now totally yeah, wow. yeah. I mean, even the new Legends books that they're releasing are, oh, yeah, are getting great. that treatment. Right. So, yeah. like, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really feel like there's a good excuse for this. It I sounds agree. like something's okay. going right, on so, that we, we probably didn't know yeah. about. All right, but. so forget about the audiobook production. My rating for the book, I know that was a long tangent to go on, but I think it was necessary. Um, yeah, so th- the book itself, it felt like nothing happened to the last 30 pages, <laughs> to be to be totally frank. Like, it felt like the book just dragged on and on and on and on and and then we got to the last 30 pages and all of these huge stakes for the High Republic, like enormous stakes for the High Republic, mm-hmm. all happen yep. in the last like mm-hmm. two chapters of the book. And it was kind of crazy to me. Um, like, I-, I also feel a little weird about so much kind of hugely important stuff happening in a young adult book that was like this weird place between like it was technical enough in places to be an adult novel but also like everybody has a crush on each other so it's obviously a young adult novel like mm-hmm. i don't know he was this weird balance of stuff and i don't know it had some it had some had some problems i i can see this like on an on an outline like everybody's like all the authors are in the room and they're like the bullet points of what what stuff's happening in whose book and like this mm-hmm. one's justina ireland's book this one's claudia gray's book and like all of these crazy big points ended up in this book, maybe because they didn't know where else to put them. It feels mm-hmm. like kind of so, you know, it had some problems. You know, I, I did enjoy the 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 big picture stuff that happened, and I think we can look back on it fondly. And you know, maybe me listening to the audiobook had somewhat of a negative effect on my score as well. I mean, it's pretty hard to deny that. Yeah. All right, note to self: never ask Corey to do anything <clears throat> briefly again. Eric, how would you rate this book? <laughs> Um, so this one, uh, as, as a lot of folks know, I whenever I read these, I do them um, super early uh, to get the review in, and I did not re-listen to this one on audiobook. Um, 
Actually, so, I mean, hey, maybe good for me on this one. Uh, but, uh, so I went back to my notes, actually, from when I did it. And based on my earlier notes, uh, my score, uh, reading back, is an 8.4. Um, which, okay. um, <clears throat> much lower than some of the more recent High Republic entries for me. Uh, but briefly, as best as I can find the word, <clears throat> um, I, I agree. I think that it was a slower book. The last 150 pages, 100 pages or so, really gripped me. Um, but I really liked the writing of the characters themselves. I like Justina's writing. But I do mm-hmm. think that on the grander scale, this is not one of the plots that will really stick with me or honestly has stuck with me a ton. Um, as we yeah. were reading that synopsis, I was remembering a lot of stuff. I like the vibes of a lot of the scenes. And I think this is going to be one that we look back and be like, oh, that's right. That started in Tempest Runner. And I love it in this book because blank, blank. You know, I think like yeah. the Graf family stuff. I think that yeah, like exactly. the Maurice Antecca fall the fallout of this book, I think is going to be really interesting. Um, Canada, yeah, being brought in. Yeah. being brought in is cool, but yeah, yeah. so eight point four for me. I, um, you know, that's that's a, that's a really good point too. Actually, you brought up about Justina Eiling's writing style. Actually, is very very good. Like you know, we at, at this at Utini we score everything based on like certain categories and stuff, and and like writing style is kind of one of them. And mm-hmm. I was uh, I'm a big fan of Justina Eiling's writing in general. Like I think. I think like the way she flows, the length of her mm-hmm. chapters, all that stuff is very easy to get into, and like I have nothing negative to say about the author at all. Yeah, very accessible writing. It's just sometimes the yeah. content, especially in this mm-hmm. one, could have maybe drawn us in a little bit more. Yeah, for right. sure. And that's an interesting this point with this being a committee effort, right, or a full team effort. Yeah. Is yeah. you're not really entirely in control of everything you can put in your story. Like mm-hmm. this book mm-hmm. probably would have been different if just Justina Ireland right. was writing mm-hmm. it, right? There are other powers that be. Um, I'm more in line score wise with with Wes and Corey. I'm going to give this book mm-hmm. a six point seven. I want to leave mm-hmm. myself some room to go up. Um, and the main reason is what you guys have already said. I felt there are a lot of breadcrumbs in this book, but I want the loaf. You know, I'm reading this yeah. book for yeah. the loaf yeah. of bread, not <laughs> sure. the crumbs. So Give me that loaf. Give me the, I the, want the loaf. The loaf is coming. <laughs> the loaf is coming. God, I really love free bread at restaurants is really what I'm trying to say. But um, Dude, Jimmy John's day old. You can't beat it. It's a dollar. So, so this book is will be important foundation wise, but it is not one that I foresee myself going back to read for what's what's in it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. totally agreed. So agreed. I think we're all kind of in similar spots. Um let's go ahead and, and jump into things. We're not breaking things up by characters or, or anything this time so much because we just gotta get through this. But let's go ahead and start with some of these big questions. <laughs> so I will say that an incredible aspect of the High Republic is that even though it's the golden age of Jedi, authors have decided to dedicate a lot of time to building up the rest of the universe, right? In case mm-hmm. in point, the graphs and the Santecas, which took up a huge portion of this novel. Yeah. And it, yeah, yeah. it really is like a whole new aspect of Star Wars history that has been revealed with this turf war between the two families who are hyperspace prospectors like hyperspace has always been there right it's always been a part of Star Wars. we just kind of assumed hyperspace had always been a thing but it it hasn't been and now we know that they had to find these lanes what do you guys think this particular aspect of the graphs and the sand tech is what does that add to the overall story of the high republic 
I was I'm a big fan of all this stuff actually. First of all, like the, all this hyper stuff, space stuff that we're getting just in the High Republic in general is really fun, mm-hmm. and I like that we've introduced this Hatfields and McCoys type of thing, like in <laughs> totally. Star Wars, right? Like it's fun. I mean, it really yeah. is fun. And also, we have a uh, we have a uh, multiple Santecas in Star Wars now. And then uh, what's his Lauren, what's his name in the in, Lauren. in Force Awakens? Yeah, Lauren Santeca. Yeah, yeah, Lauren Senteca. Yeah, I thought it was Lauren. Yeah, Lauren Senteca is interesting, and every, I mean, everybody's still like to this day, like, who is that guy? Like, he's in the beginning. Yeah. He seems important. Yeah. Like, so I mean, this is fun, man. I'm a big fan of all this stuff. Yeah, I think it, that, this was some of the most enjoyable part of the books for me. Yep. Mm-hmm. So back on a, a episode we had a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how some of the stuff we'd want to know be put into a novel or be put into a into a movie, and this was one of the things that I had asked for. Is like need more background about the Santecas. And I think there was a lot um, that's that's evolved through the comics. Um, But this was one of the things that I wanted to to know about within in in a novel form. And it's about the Santecas and Mm kind of the hyperspace lanes and hyperspace itself has has just been a, oh, it works. Just go with it. Right. Sci-fi. Just just go with what we say hyperspace is and then don't even think about it too much. But now we're getting into like the chemistry of what hyperspace is and how it's yeah. kind of being used and how people are using it as a weapon. So yeah, I really thought this was a, this was one of the main things I took it to take away from this book so I could use, um, you know, for later, either for later higher public novels or later for higher public discussions. But, um, this is one of the things when, I think of when I'm reading these novels is what can I take away from this book that I haven't heard of or I've learned from prior books. And this is one of the ones that, that I really enjoyed. Yeah, totally. And then Mike just said in the chat, a really great point, you know, Charles soul has said in multiple interviews that his favorite like CD E list character was Laura Santeca from the start. So it's clear that he, because he loves them, that's, you know, how they got into all this and all the authors clearly have followed suit. I agree with everything you guys said. And I want to add in one other part. I really loved in all this was uh, Xylan Graf was a very interesting character for me because I I thought he was comedically rich. Like, like (laughs) everyone in Star Wars is so poor. I love seeing someone that is just stupidly wealthy because, like, it was was hilarious. He changes outfits in every single scene and, like... He owns a building, like... I know. The scene where she, she, like, the... I think it's from... uh, It's from... I can't remember whose view it's from, but, like... Like there is like commentary about how deep the V in his V neck. Yeah, is. yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna say that. Like the and deeper I, the V, the more expensive the shirt. Yeah, and it, it was so great because like it, it goes back to the like the oh, Santecas and Light of the Jedi got their Naboo Resort right, and then you got uh-huh. that. And I love the idea that like no, this makes you stupid rich. Like everyone on Canto Bite looks poor to these guys, and I'm like, that's kind of a weird fun world for the Jedi and it other is, people to live yeah. in now because like. We all know in real life, rich people are super weird, man. Like, they are <laughs> completely different. And I liked in this book, Justine is like, no, Xylan Graf has never known anything other than being wealthy. So what kind of person would that make him? And I really liked yeah. that added element. In addition to all the tech stuff that you guys said, I'm really stoked that stupidly rich people are getting involved well, dude, in this. Somebody's got to live in those high-rises on Coruscant, okay? Exactly. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For real. You know? Some rich yeah, so that was fun. Yeah, I couldn't wrap extra. my head around. I couldn't wrap my head around how big this ship was. That he said they said it looked like a space station or something when they finally moved up to it. Yeah, and it had yeah, its yeah, own yeah. hyperdrive and all that other stuff. And I couldn't really wrap my head around how big this thing was. But it didn't. Yeah. They said it really didn't look like a ship. So I was like think I was thinking more of uh, the the yacht that's on uh, Solo, a Star Wars the story. Dry but, boss's mm, pleasure yeah. yacht. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I was picturing that a lot as well. Yep. In fact, that that sort of 
been my go-to like whenever they mention any sort of yacht type of thing ever like I always yeah. think Dryden Voss's shit. Oh yo 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 Let's just wanted to talk about the fish guy again. Hey man. <laughs> that scene, oh, I will say man. this is already a tangent, but because you know Charles Soule's writing so much solo content into War of the Bounty Hunters right now, the lines in that scene are all time the let's eat a little, drink a lot, and talk privately. Like, dude, uh-huh. all time guy Dryden Voss. Anyway. Yes. Well, cheers, see, Charles. You we're, mentioned, go, we're doing great so far. Yeah, we're 45 minutes in and we've, I've asked one question. Um, the <laughs> You mentioned Xylan Graf, and I think as a whole family, one of the most interesting aspects is that the Grafs seem to be playing both sides, right? Because mm-hmm. while they're clearly working with the Nile to some degree, they also have, they've been a huge aspect of the Republic because it was actually revealed that Catriona Graf was one of the primary funders for building Starlight Beacon itself, mm-hmm. right? So they're, they're mm-hmm. playing both sides here. Do you think we're going to see that continue, or do you think that they have declared their allegiance by the end of this novel? That's a good Ooh. question. Yeah, I, w- I will say that, like, like I was very uncomfortable with how just morally neutral they were in this book. Of just like, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're kind of hanging out with the Nihil, whatever. It's not like they've killed billions of people mm-hmm. or anything. It's just like. It's insane. Like mm-hmm. it'd be like being buddy buddy with the first order and they blew up all mm-hmm. the all those republic planets, right? So it's like I don't know, man. I was uncomfortable with that, all that. That's kinda that's kinda like foreshadowing. I don't know if it's foreshadowing. Um, but like when they're on Canto Bite in uh in uh Last Jedi, yeah. Last Jedi, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like when um uh God, I even forgot that guy's name. DJ <laughs> DJ's is DJ. looking to see like who the ship belongs to he's like oh this guy sells weapons to the good guys and the bad guys yeah yeah so they the could be they could be like i mean ancestors they could be what if the graph ship yeah That'd be fun it could, it could yeah. be the graphs that are that are playing both sides but they're making money off of both sides and i mean we yeah. see that in the real world too so yeah i was gonna say um uh that it, it sounds it sounds a lot like real rich people charles um <laughs> i mean like you think about like the the cynical real life stuff look at every war Ever, it's like I don't know. Rich people are probably just funding both sides and then seeing what happens. Um, so I unfortunately found that very realistic, and it made me sad. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so to answer your question, though, I do think though that we they have not picked a side. I think mm. that they're yeah. gonna keep pouring money into each one. Maybe one a little more than the other when there's different victories. But I think we're gonna see the graphs playing both sides going forward. And I also think that opens up a nice door. For, the, for us never to worry about funding for any of the, the future battles. Like, how did the Nile get all these ships again? Didn't they get blown up? Well, the Grafs are funding them. Whoa, Hard yeah, Star Light Beacon get this. Well, the Grafs are funding them too. So it's it's kind of a nice little cheat code for writers going forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, beyond the, the Grafs and the Santecas, I want to talk some more about some of the, the normies, if you will, the non-Jedi characters <laughs> in this book. And one of the biggest ones, obviously, was Muggles. Sylvester Yarrow. <laughs> the muggles yes aka sill and sill yeah. had a seemingly infinite number of unhealthy relationships in this book from her ex-girlfriend to her tempest runner aunt kind of to her mm-hmm. back from the dead mother and though her biggest desire seemed to be to just travel the galaxy in her own ship do you think that her connections to others are going to keep her bogged down in this conflict between the republic and the nile i mean Charles, 
I was in my early twenties once. You know, <laughs> I feel like uh, aren't aren't they all like like eighteen, nineteen, twenty in this book? Like, yeah, they're yeah, like they're late there. teens, early twenties. Um, which again works for a lot of YA, right? And I think that yeah, so it makes sense at least the timeline wise. I thought that made still interesting, and I think it was by the end of it. I think she's in a better place going forward to answer the end of that question. Um. But I thought it was interesting seeing someone work through that many toxic relationships during mm. a book. I think I think Syl, for my money, was probably the best written character throughout. I mean, I, I really liked yeah. the Vern the stuff. And the, yeah, else. consistent, mm-hmm. totally. I think you could tell Justina really loved this character. You know, to, yeah. And I think we wrote about this in our review, that the choice to make a non-Jedi brand new character, the center of a new novel, was a huge risk. Um, and then, of course, to uh, mention something we talked about more last year, the fact that she is um, an LGBTQ plus per- woman of color is awesome. Um, yeah. And I think that, like, was – and I'm glad I didn't see crap online about it, which is good, which means either people are being cool or I really have muted well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I thought she was cool. It's a new I, era in Star Wars yeah. storytelling. When We're finally when, good with it. That's right. But um, it's good. it's good to highlight that – the normies, if you will, are part of a novel because there's far more of them than there are Jedi and, yes! and Nihil. So this is the galaxy. There's the got to be something point, going on out there, right? Other than yeah. you know Jedi lightsaber <laughs> battles and Nihil, uh, you know, stealing and thievery. Yeah, she reminds me a lot of Jyn Erso. Mm. Ooh, I can see yeah, that. yeah, for sure. You want to yeah. talk about someone yeah, that I had a lot of bogged down connections in her life? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I saw her as that that a mm-hmm. lot and. I mean, it certainly seems she has a lot of emotional conflict. I mean, she mm-hmm. could very easily be a good villain story, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Like she's fed up with everything and chooses the wrong side kind of story. But mm-hmm. like, uh, I do love that we've had so many books in the High Republic about the Jedi and their emotions, right? We've talked about that in Rising Storm, that we're having a lot of Jedi dealing with their emotions and how you don't shut down your emotions, you just control them. And still has none of that training or need, so she's just like, I'm failing a lot! Um, my ex is here. My mom is dead. No, she's not. And she's maybe evil. That sucks. You're how rich? Is this cat a chair? Like, I feel like her whole life is kind of chaos. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. she, like, that is a protagonist for 2021 uh, right now to be like, everyone just calm down. I don't know what's happening. Why am I in the Jedi Temple? Can I please just have my ship fixed? So going yeah. forward with that all kind of settled, I think when she pops up again, I, I do feel like it'll be a far different version of that character and that that note that that chancy said about lorna d being her auntie that's not she, lorna d's not a santeca is she auntie no, lorna no, no she's a, a, it's just a she's just like that's what it's, yeah okay let's make sure yeah. that's what like like it's, your, you have it's children, like oh your mom's best be, friend you we know? will be uncle yeah. Corey, eric and charles that's that's mm-hmm. that's what it was that's exactly it <laughs> I got brothers. big uncle energy. <laughs> big uncle energy. Well, let's talk about some other toxic relationships besides Eric as an uncle. And Syl <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Jordana, by the end of this book, after a lot of struggling, are once again a couple. And they kind of more or less fly off into the sunset. But 
can we talk about Jordana's little circlet of death and casual murder of 20-plus <laughs> individuals in about as many seconds? Because there have got to be some repercussions with that, right? And that We was... all have different kinks, Charles. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> what was that, and where is that going? Like, that was very odd. It was equivalent to the uh, the arrow from, uh, what's his name, from Guardians Yandu. of the Galaxy. Oh, Yandu's uh, arrow. You know, where he, like, whistles Papa's and it, like, flies around and kills everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh, it's so silly. Ha ha, he's whistling. And then you're like, he just murdered so yeah, many yeah. people. I mean, but that's that's what it is, though, right? It's like a spinning boomerang. Yeah, it's a cross, yeah. Thing, cross between right? that and Xena Warrior Princess. Yes. So yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that my God. Dark. That whole this. scene was dark. It was just, like, blood and gore everywhere. Even when they all ran into that scene, like, later on, they were like, holy shit, what the hell happened yeah. here? Yeah. Bodies <laughs> cut. They... they uh, Justina added in there about bodies being cut in half and they yeah. had to walk past them and she slipped on green blood and almost yes. fell down right. like from the massacre that she had ensued. It was great. I like that. Well, and it's that good writing be- because we've had so many moments of like Jedi kill people, right? Like we know this happens, but the lightsaber because of what it does and how it kills you either deflect a blaster bolt and it's like they kind of shot themselves or it's like you <laughs> slice them and it immediately cauterizes, cauterizes the, wound, the wound. There's no blood. <laughs> so Jedi can like sleep well at night for whatever reason. Or most of the time they're killing droids, right? No blood, no but, foul, right? Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me kind of like a robot chicken sketch or something where they're like, I'm a hero. I'm a hero. Oh, my God, my leg. Oh, God, blood. Like, it, And there's just all of a sudden just gore everywhere. It's that moment of like, oh, God. Am I dating a psycho? Oh, no. I mean, yeah, Not cool. Again. But, yeah. oh, no. Like, I was also in my early 20s. That Some of that's fun. But, like, it's very <laughs> worrisome. And I do think that doesn't go away with a, like, honey, we survived. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I mean, she did kind of save their lives. There was a yeah, lot of guys out there. Worked out, you know? I think uh, this isn't dreams. this isn't coming in from a deep dark place for me or anything. I'm just saying. I'm just pointing it out. I'm just pointing out the facts. Yeah. <laughs> We're about facts here. But it is it's got to come back, right? Because yeah. it's not something yeah. you just randomly just insert into this novel. Like that is a plot point. We're gonna figure out probably yeah. where the weapon came from because they mentioned it. She took it from the Nile. Um, I think mm-hmm. is what the book said. But there's got to be more behind that. So we'll see. Yeah. But that plot point will come back just like the death boomerang, I assume, yes, just kind of swings exactly, around back. Exactly. So let's talk about Syl and Chansey then. Yeah. Um, on page 369, Chansey is talking about Lorna D and about how she is uh, Syl's aunt. And she says, about a year ago, she told me of an oracle who navigated hyperspace like no other. She offered me the chance to finally prove my theory correct to be able to finally build my machine while aided by the greatest navigational mind that ever existed. Lorna believed in me and thought that it was wholly possible to create a device that replicates the gravity of a heavenly body in real space, thus weaponizing hyperspace. So first of all, I want to point out here, Lorna knew about Marie Santeca a year before the events of this novel, because Mm -hmm. this takes place several months after the rising storm. Which right. is when we mm-hmm. previously thought the Tempest Runners found out about the Oracle, right? But that means mm-hmm. that Lorna knew about this long beforehand and was using that information to her advantage. So casual line there, but actually really big implications. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know how much we're like allowed to talk about Tempest Runner yet. I mean, it's out. It's, oh, out, it's out. Yeah, it's yeah, out. yeah okay. Yeah, we won't go into huge spoilers. I know a lot of people haven't listened yet, but you can, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. talk about it without us being shut down. That's right. That's right. Okay. So <laughs> Tem- T- Tempest Runner is about Lorna D, right? Like, yeah. so I, mm-hmm. I I finished this today while I was working on my trailer, and this plot point doesn't make any flipping sense to me, man. Like, like uh, in fact, you know, I didn't realize that Lorna D was the connection to like how the how the Nile got this weapon in the first place until literally just now, like what the heck? This doesn't make any sense. Like why is Lorna involved? This is so like atypical of her character to be like, Oh, this is very interesting science. That sounds possible. Like that, that, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't sound like her character at all. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I, as far as the science goes, especially after listening to Tempest runner, I don't see her being a huge science freak. I do under I do believe Lorna would find out a secret and then hold it for a year. I yeah. mm-hmm. so maybe the specifics I don't quite understand, but her being but it's like a, it's implied oh. that it's but isn't it implied that Marcia and Roe is all involved in this weapon being built too? I mean, yes and no that it's being built. Like yes, this so can't be a Lorna know. D secret. Yes. Right? He, does he knows know. because yeah, he, he lends yeah, he, he lends Marie Santeca to basically be the final yeah, piece right. of that weapon. But what gets me is if she is so powerful and he needs the paths to be the eye of, of mm-hmm. the Nile, then how, why would he, for a second, let somebody else yeah. take her over? She if, is not a library If he book. didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Yes. If he ar- didn't already know that she was like on her last leg and she was going to die pretty soon anyway, well, yeah. Yeah. even with well, all he, that stuff. And this is what I love. I love that question because I have, I have two ideas about that for Markeon, who, I mean, still one of the MVPs of the whole initiative for me. I love this dude. He shows up for like three scenes here. I'm like, what's up, dude? But um, I think either hi, A, Eric, I, hi, buddy. Uh, he's either so cocky that he thinks he can't be taken down at this point, which I think might fit with him. He's such a narcissist that he's like, mm. no one would betray me because I'm smarter than anyone around me. Or I do think that he's like, um, after the rising storm, like Marie Santeca's paths. Maybe that's more of his father's legacy of like the Paz yeah. and the Nile are old news. If she dies, got that I got the leveler. Now. All I needed was the leveler because yeah. my, mm. his his whole goal is not about making the Nile the most prosperous band ever. His whole goal is basically I want to destroy the entirety of the Jedi yeah. Yeah. and the Republic. No, no real so mention I, of I the leveler he, in this book other yeah. than nope. that, I, I that, think that makes Chansey sense. was hoping to maybe deliver some Jedi to him for testing. That was really the only thing. Yeah, yeah I think, that was yeah. super dark. Yeah, yeah. For testing, that is. Mm-hmm. Anytime you talk about bringing humans or beings, sending beings for testing, I'm just like, oh god, it's just. Yeah. Huh, it's it sends a chill it's up gross. the spine. Because yeah. we know we 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 read those loading chapters. We're like, I know what happens, man. That's awful. Yeah. Shut up, dude. Shut up. Still, the way the way that the way that Mari was sort of like valued in in Martian's eyes, like earlier in High Republic Phase One, like does somewhat contrast with this. Yeah. Like, of, like he, just, to come back. he just lets her go and, and also, you know, major spoiler alert, Mari Santeca dies in this book. Yeah. Right. So like like, you know, not only did he loan her, but she also like got killed, sort of. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess she died of natural causes but somewhat. This, but this of also, being like two hundred well, years old. This started in in the rising storm, to be fair, because even in that round table, I brought into question why would he ever have let Udi Dis even see Maria yep. Santeca, mm-hmm. who he's yeah. the one that ultimately got the secret out to Panada. So That's I right. think in, in the fallen star they'll have because every adult novel 
it seems like just for this initiative, they're basically writing them so you can read only the adult novels and basically get the story. Yeah. Um, so I think there will be early mention of her death and Markion's reaction to it. I think there'll be like a, you know, someone giving Vader <laughs> the news of whatever. He'll like walk in like, uh, the eye... I regret to inform you, Marie Sancheca is dying. <gasps> so, uh, yeah, so I think we'll find out. accepted, Lord <laughs> D. Exactly. So he'll be like, yes, I know, or like, well, that's bad, or whatever. I don't know, whatever, however you react. So I think that'll come around in the Fallen Star. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, let's Which is not till January, by the way. January, January. Yeah. yeah, the next adult novel is not until January. There's so plenty in between now and then, now and then non-High Republic, mm-hmm. though. Not High Republic. Yeah, we got three three whole books between then. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Chansey Yarrow and her motivation because I think that was one of the most kind (laughs) of. Thank you for that. It's a Pokemon. That's one of the most (laughs) unclear, I think, aspects of this book is exactly what is Chansey's really motivation. It was really repeatedly called into question. But here's mm-hmm. a quote from page 372 that was what Sylvestri hopes is going on, not necessarily what is. And uh, Syl says, maybe she hadn't faked her death, not like Syl thought. Lorna had kidnapped her, and somehow Chansey had maneuvered herself into being in control of the situation. And now she had brought Syl to her prison, all in the name of familial love. But Syl was really on the gravity's heart because her mother was trying to keep her safe by bringing her into the belly of the beast. It was such a stupid, risky thing to do, and it was exactly what Syl would expect from her mother. So my question with this is, do you buy that? Like, do you think that Chansey actually is a good person caught up in a bad situation trying to protect her daughter, or is she Mm. actually interested in working with the Nile to pursue her vision of what hyperspace can be? Ooh. Yeah. Yes. Both. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's, yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, right? I, I don't know. This Chansey was another character that had some somewhat conflicting type of backstories. Like her, like she she was kind of portrayed early in the book in the way that Syl thought of her as being sort of a smuggler kind of character mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And then like then we find out, lo and behold, that the scientist has been mentioned multiple times in all of these High Republic books is actually her. And I was like. Mm-hmm. What? Like, I mean, that was a weird, sudden mm-hmm. change of character for her to be somewhat. And even to Syl. I mean, she even mm-hmm. said, like, well, my mom's a nerd. He went to a PhD program or something, right? I mean, that yeah. was kind of weird for her. And and I, I don't know. It was as shocking for me, the reader, as it was for Syl, I think, of, like, what yeah. her character sort of came out to be. And I don't know what her motivations are. I, I, I mean, they're sort of all over the place now. Like, she wanted to build this this thing, but why? And... I don't know. I have a lot of questions about her. Yeah. I think it is I, – I, what you're saying, Corey, I felt the same way. Surprise, it still didn't. I think that was, at least from what we can tell, pretty intentional. And sure. I thought that the, the surprise lasted until the end where I kind of got the vibe, mainly because of the stun shots, honestly, like that she didn't – like the, the Nile were using stun blasts a lot. There was a lot of prison taking, which the Nile don't do. Like they don't mm-hmm. take prisoners. So I mm-hmm. think the fact that mm-hmm. they did – um, was all Chansey's doing, was all the fact that her daughter was around. I think she's like, hey, I think this technology is going to exist, so I'll be in charge of it. Because also I think she's morbidly curious. It's like, I am a scientist, and this is new science. I want to be at the front of it. But also, if I'm in charge of it, then my kid won't become victimized by it. So I don't think it's necessarily she has the moral high ground, 
But I do think she's like, eh, I'll keep working for the Nile and I'll just make sure my kid's safe because I raised her tough. You know, it's kind of the vibe I got by the end. Okay. But even but even even at the end though, she seemed pretty loyal to the Nihil. Like it didn't seem like it was. Uh, she chose the Nihil over her daughter for sure. Oh yeah, I don't think yeah, I don't yeah, think right. it's I don't think it's still above all. I think <laughs> she's like I'm a scientist above all, and I've raised my kid with enough strength to take care of herself if I need to go do yeah. this. And I I think she, I don't think Perhaps. she's a good parent. To be clear, <laughs> I think she has some rough moments. Um, that I, yeah, I would I mean, probably say, fails, yeah, it's, but it's like, but this is, I mean, but still though, we're talking about like, like a gravity well generator is in and of itself a weapon. This would be yeah. like, like, uh, Galen Urso building the death star because it was interesting to him yeah. like, because it was fun. Yeah. Right. Which is like a weird, not really cool thing. I agree. Right? And like, I, take, think that's, I don't know. Yeah. And to take that whole project <laughs> above your family, this it seems odd to, yeah. It seems odd to a parent that would oh, yeah. want to do that. I don't think she's a good parent. No, like, no, I, Eric, we heard yeah. you say that she's a great parent. That's exactly what you said. So I we'll, heard that can as we, well. Can we roll back the live feed? Let's, just roll, let's, let's go back to the tape. She's a great parent. I think, God damn it. I think it's actually cool, though, that you know a lot of times in Star Wars it is like this person is good, this person is bad. And like there are a lot of people in yeah. this novel in particular where you're like, I don't really know where this person falls. And I actually kind yeah, right, of right, right, right. like Game of Thrones vibes a little bit with this book, including yeah. like the graphs and Everbloom being the name yeah. of their compound. Like it felt I got those kind of vibes. And I was like, who are oh, who sure. are all these people ultimately <laughs> loyal to? I don't think we have the answers, but that's also kind of yeah. fun. Like we can debate it here, but that's part of the fun mm-hmm. is that we don't know. Yeah. The three moralities are good, bad, and rich. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the moral spectrum. That's how it seems. How deep is your V? Now, <laughs> as deep as your pockets. All right. So right. let's let's talk about the gravity's heart itself. And uh, a quote here from page 421 says, Lorna D and the Graphs cooked this up long ago. They offered me a chance to test out my theories and the resources to build that weapon. Nan blinked as the pieces slid into place. You always knew that you would get caught. Xylan Graph laughed. Of course, a weapon that can kick ships out of hyperspace? That was always going to be discovered sooner or later. The key was making Roe believe it so we could have access to Marie Santeca, the Graph matriarch said. She was the final piece of the mapping data that we needed to one day create a more successful version of the gravity well projector, one that can predict timing as well as direction. So, hey... At the end of the book, literally, maybe that was the last page, one of the last pages, they finally called yeah. it what it is, a gravity well projector. They said the words. And even though we're not in the Easter egg section yet, y'all, gravity well projectors have a very long, rich history in Star That's Wars, right? right? These are not. This is not a new invention. They actually first appeared back in Scavenger Hunt, which was a supplement to Star Wars The Role-Playing Game, published in 1989. And they of then, course, right? they're repeatedly featured throughout oh. Legends, where they're used by a bunch of different groups, including the Empire, the Vigari, the Killix, which were the creators of Centerpoint Station, which used gravity well projector technology. That's right. Mm-hmm. So this, this is all over the place. And this was actually already brought into canon for the first time in Tarkin by James Lucino in 2014. But this mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the earliest canonical appearance in the timeline. Yeah. So I just wanted to... Right. to for people that maybe haven't read Legends, who have just picked up the High Republic, it's their first Star Wars books. Like this was a massive reference and yeah. reveal that we're using cool. this technology. Yeah. It's not a little throwaway thing. Like this is a big deal, right? That's, that's why. That's why I'm kind of saying it feels weird that such enormous 
stakes happen in this book, which is a young adult right book. Right at the end. Correct. Which, yeah. you know, yeah, right at the very end. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. I had to I had to go back and read this. So I listened to it, and then I went back and read it, and then went back and listened to it again because it, it was so profound to have this. I mean, even in a in a paragraph, they didn't expand on it enough. I, I don't think Justina needed did had the ability to expand on it enough because you know the powers that be. But um, the whole like having Marky Monroe believe that they he had to give up uh, Marie Santeca to be mm-hmm. able to make this weapon worth, and then it it gets blown up. So now Marky Monroe thinks this whole thing is over with. So yeah. It's all gone, but I don't I don't know where this goes because Marky on Rose not gonna be like, Oh yeah, I guess all the technology is gone, but I mean somebody has the data behind this whole thing, or was it all gone with the destruction of yeah. this particular gravity well? Well, because I think it's, it's interesting seeing the Niles trajectory going forward, right? Because the first thing the first thing that happened in the higher public was that a path messed up hyperspace and caused this giant disaster, right? So that was one thing. And then they had the fair, which was a coordinated attack, which is another thing. But now if, if the Nile can get gravity well projection technology and can just pull ships out of hyperspace whenever they want, mm-hmm. that's like kind of seems like the final piece of like hyperspace domination. And if you rule hyperspace, you rule the galaxy, right? So this is where I admittedly I, I like the last hundred hundred fifty pages, as we've talked about the last like bit, was the most exciting kinetic part of the book. But there was a lot, as we're saying, kind of crammed in, especially with this stuff. That That's where I kind of started to get a little lost of, like, yeah. there's mm-hmm. so much that I both wanted it to keep going as quick as it was, but also slow down a little bit at the same yeah. time. It's all at the end, too. Yeah, all this stuff is, is yeah. at the end. Like, everything before this was, yeah. like... Like romance and classic young adult stuff. Yeah, it's, right? it's like so. a, it's like a, it's like a, it's a romance novel, more, much more akin to like a Crash of Fate or something like that, mm-hmm. with some family dynamics. And then at the end, it's like, but by the way, gravity well projectors, which, it, which, like yeah. we're saying, is a giant freaking thing. And I'm, yeah. I'm honestly, w- what this book did, which is what I kind of want every book to do, but in a weird way, is every book in the higher public should make me want to read the next one. I should feel good, mm-hmm. but I should be excited. And it definitely made me want to read the next one, but in a much different way compared to yeah. the other ones where I was like, wait, what? Now, what? I, what? Listen, I, I will say, too, that I feel like we're we're walking a fine line here, too, as far as explaining technology at this point. Because we are only 300 years before the movies, right? Mm-hmm. And like we've already had explanations of Bacta, like yep. the origins of Bacta and now the origins of gravity well projectors. Like mm-hmm. like I, I don't know that I love all the origins of all this technology all being from this one era. Like that that does feel a little bit like like they're sort of backing themselves into a corner as far well, as to back up a explanations little on it. Yeah. I mean I right. think I think that as long as like this kind of stuff feels like it's gonna be very plot heavy for the hyperspace stuff so the back to stuff i agree um i think that that helped with flavor text for why certain places need to be saved but Mm -hmm. as far as the hyperspace stuff i i I do agree that if they go too far with it too specific it'll be Mm -hmm. odd but if they can keep it in the prospecting war and the idea that gravity wells can kind of control the galaxy going forward because i I mean Mm -hmm. The end of phase one, I think, is going to solidify a lot of this. And we are rapidly approaching it in January. Yeah. So I think that'll be very defining as to what the next phase yeah. of the hyperspace yeah. war is going to be. Yeah. 
it's not far it's not far enough back for me to buy into it is all as all I sure. mean really. Like if we were sure. five thousand years before the movies or something crazy like that, like I don't know, it, it makes it makes Star Wars feel small to me. Remember we were talking about we talked yeah. about that in, in regards to uh bad was it Bad Batch, I guess, on Bounty Hunt we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yes. like yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like like some storytelling decisions make Star Wars feel small and like creating all the origins in such a short period of time before the films will to me make Star Wars feel small. So you gotta be careful yeah. with this. I feel if that they explain they explain something else, like Tabana gas, like the first time it's ever used or something like that in a blast, I'm gonna be no, like, oh, already right, had that. Enough. That's it. We already had that, luckily. <laughs> that was in uh, Light of the Jedi. So you're good with Tabana gas. Check that off the list. Yeah, just don't <laughs> explain right. I mean, where Yoda came from, please. Don't do that. That's right. Uh, <laughs> just to be clear in the old republic. Like they had ships using hyperspace lanes, correct? They in in legends, yeah. In legends, yeah. yeah, yeah. In legends, yeah, we don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so. pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, like, like gravity well projectors. I'm not sure if, if what their origin was, like storytelling wise, and legends was. I know you talked about like Center kind of point. meta, yeah, Charles, yeah. Or where world. they came from, but yeah. like, yeah, but like, where do they come from in legends? I don't actually know. The so answer. I think I think the Killix were the people who. Uh, created the technology if i'm not mistaken yeah um and then it basically just got kind of borrowed by others but but now we're seeing it used by the nile right and eric you kind of addressed this but i'm curious what what everyone thinks here is that now going to be the backbone of how the nile posed their attacks because marie Santec is gone so paths Mm -hmm. are gone they're not going to pop into atmosphere on Valo again, right? That that ability is is essentially gone. So how are the Nile yeah. going to gain an advantage? Or at the this new point? paths are gone. We don't know how many yeah. he banked. He was banking yeah. a lot. That is true. Well, That's and right. we also don't know a, how, exactly, how exactly the paths <laughs> yeah. work because actually in this book yeah, in right. particular, there's a moment that really caught me off guard, and this is kind of a tangent, but it was when they're trying to board the gravity's heart. And they're flying their ship. There's a Nile ship coming straight at them. It pops out of existence and reappears mm-hmm. right behind them a second later. And that's kind of different than how paths had worked previously because you have to load it into your engine and, like, figure mm-hmm. out how – you have to be given it. So, like, they just happen to have a path that let them do the exact thing they needed to when a ship was flying at them. Well, we, we saw it in uh, – did we see it in Kevin Scott's last book of, like, them jumping around during the space yep. fight? Wasn't during that in Kevin Scott's book? Like, that was in that was in Light of the Jedi, wasn't it? The that was in Light of the Jedi where they were jumping inside other ships, other Republic ships. You're talking about during that crazy. Uh, I don't know. I, I just I, I just remember a big crazy. They, they jump around in atmosphere was, on Valo at, at the Republic Fair, yeah. so that does happen. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But yeah, what you're saying, like being, I don't know. There is somewhat of a of a conflicting thing here about the paths and how they and work. Can you and reuse like, a path like? like and can you access a path from different points? Like it, there's still a lot to be explained there. Yeah, yeah. I would hope that they could reuse the paths because, yeah. damn, those paths would be. I mean, they would be. Um, I mean, like, I don't know if you could put a price on them, but they would obviously be, be priceless. Yeah, priceless. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure Silent Graf can put a price on them. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the price. Yeah, is no yeah. Object. A lot of questions, and and maybe we're not supposed to understand that. This is just one of those things we kind of just close our eyes and be like, okay, it's Star Wars, like you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, it could be that, I guess, yeah. but I don't know. Well, we'll see. We'll see. All these questions, I think we will get answers to as we move forward. But we got to move on to Vernestra Rowe. I want to talk a little bit about her because she, I think, is one of the most important characters in this book. I think she could have been like the main character. I th- I'm glad mm-hmm. and I'm interested that they did it from Sylvester's point of view more so than Vern's. But mm-hmm. out of all the Jedi, 
Vern took center stage for sure. She discovered new force abilities and learned how to be a better master to her Padawan. But from her hyperspace visions to her light whip, she is accumulating a lot of secrets now that she's keeping from the rest of the Jedi Order. Do y'all foresee any fallout from that? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. No! Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Jedi man. Secrets never go well, man. Yeah, this the, is how it goes. The first thing when I read that, I was like, she <laughs> shouldn't be doing that. That's a, I mean, that's obviously a no-no, right? She should not be yeah. keeping secrets, especially ones like these. That is a path yeah. mm-hmm. to the unknown that she right. has, that she knows about. Um, I mean, who is Stellan Geos? Is that that's her, yeah, her yeah. former master? Mm-hmm. And she kind of he he encouraged her to. To, mm-hmm. to work on these visions, but he didn't know exactly how deep it went. And she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to reflect on that. She doesn't want to um, elaborate more mm-hmm. on what she's seen or what she's feeling. So mm-hmm. there's some, yeah, there's some deep underlying things I hope that yeah. comes out in the later n- novels or the later comics or whatever mm-hmm. um, that we get to, we get to hear a little bit more about what Vern's going through. Yeah, very, very interesting decision to make uh, to make Stellan Geos her master. I feel like, I mean, yeah, that was right. Very interesting and 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 kind of weirdly <laughs> very supportive of his character. I feel like, mm-hmm. like of like kind of painting that picture of like somewhat woefully naive a little bit, like mm-hmm. of like, oh yeah, sure, yeah. my my Padawan is absolutely ready to be a Jedi Knight. She's only sixteen. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was somewhat of a of a stretch, and, and like, clearly I mean, just got her driver's license. Yeah, <laughs> Stellan right, right. Kenobi, man, he gets and it. Like, yeah. I mean. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, is it is not all of this stuff that we see happen in this book with her character? Is that not supportive of like the fact that she was not ready to be a knight? Yeah. I mean, I mean, she she's that, creating. She has that bumper got, sticker on her vector. It says "student driver." Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! She it. Oh, I I love yes. that detail also that she sucks at flying. I think that's great. I I, I love her having these visions, right? Because I, I love the idea that. She like no one else has hyperspace visions. That's not a thing, right? And she's like, I go into hyperspace and I have these visions, and everyone's gonna think I'm weird. And I like that in the previous novels and comics, they've set her up as like a perfectionist, as like I have to be the best at what I do, yeah. right? So I think she's like, oh my god, if they think I'm weird or if they think I'm off, then they're gonna question my status. So I, I until I figure out what to do about this, because I'm a Jedi Knight and I should figure it out. You know, I, I think it's. A somewhat, it makes sense. But as a reader, I agree. I'm like, oh no, 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 no! You gotta tell <laughs> Stellan. Oh God, because um, being asked in the chat makes a great point. The Force is definitely influencing her. But what side of the Force? Like, yeah. what is in hyperspace? Is it light? Is it yeah. dark? Is it neutral? And honestly, though, if I was a brand new Jedi Knight and I came back from a mission and was like, so, um, a, a, a thing exploded. We lost a bunch of tech, and then this like two hundred year old woman died. But before she did, she telepathically gave me a path to an unknown place where the Nihil <laughs> might be. It might be a trap, but I think I might go there alone. And it's based on a vision that I had in hybrid. Oh yeah, I'm still having those visions. Sorry, I didn't tell you. Um, it, what do you think? You know, I think <laughs> yeah, it would go like, well. It's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just like, but it's just it, it's just over the top though. Like all of the all of the secrets she's keeping at this point are just like it's not even logical that she's keeping these type yeah. of yeah. secrets. She's right? just too, like she's too deep. Well, she's here, too deep here's, in it. Yeah, here's a like, thought for you. In some ways, Vern is like a star of the Jedi Order. People meet her, and the immediate thing that they think of is, oh, she's the knight that was knighted at 15 years old. <laughs> It, yeah, and now yeah. she's accumulating the all these ever. secrets. 
and we don't really know what's going on in her head. She has a, a quote You're on from, this council, but we do not grant you the rank yes. of master. So, so on page 72, she makes a comment about how the rules of the Jedi Order are more like guidelines. Shout out to Jack Sparrow. Um, <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> I just wonder, could she be the fallen star? Like, maybe it's not Starlight Beacon. Maybe we're yeah. going to see a Jedi Ooh. fall. Also, Charles, sorry, that's Captain Barbosa that says that. Oh, is it Barbosa? Um, not, not, to, not to Caribbean, not to Pirates Gatekeep you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, she absolutely could. Uh, yeah. She totally could be. And, and, yeah, Be Nasty also said she's got this light like whip. To see it. She's like, yeah. I've been breaking rules since, since day one, man. And yeah. she is kind of like the Simone Biles of the Jedi, right? Where, like, everyone's mm-hmm. like, you're young and you're the best ever. But a lot of people are probably waiting for her to mess up. Yeah. You know? And it's yeah. like that pressure. Yeah, I mean, that master, that master says to her face, like, I agree that you were granted, like, knighthood before you were ready. Like, Vicious. okay. Like, oh, say it right to her face, man. Nice yeah. to meet you, too. I'm Vern. Like, what? Yes. <laughs> but exactly. I think she puts a lot of uh, pressure on herself to figure out on her on her own because yeah, she's she so yeah. young. She doesn't yeah. want, like, they gave her that responsibility as being a Jedi Knight for, like, as at a young age. So right. don't come to me back to me with these petty problems. Figure them out yourself, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, also like, like I don't know how common just like weird Jedi powers are, like in in Star Wars. Fair. But like, like she just has these really wild visions while she's in hyperspace. She's like, oh yeah, that's not important. Like, let's not, let's not think about that at all. It's like. And they, and that doesn't they happen. come true. It can't yeah, the can true. Like, if they were like, dreams, sh- it'd be one thing. But since they come true. But, like, yeah, she would wake up to, like, three people standing over her, and they'd be like, what's going on? She'd be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, no, you were seasoned. Shut up. Like, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's, just like, she's just, like, blowing, <laughs> no, she's she's not like blowing it off. <laughs> exactly. It's just no. blowing it off. It's just, like, that doesn't make any sense. It so is like, also that, so weirdly. For, she irritated me as a character the whole time. Every time we get, we arrived at her in the book, I was like, God, that, this again? Like, come on. You know what Vernestra is? Vernestra is just a millennial. Because she was told she's gifted, and she was pushed way too hard, and every time she has a problem, she's like, it's fine, it's fine, I can't tell anyone, I'll figure it out, and then she has anxiety, and she's just worried people are going to judge her all the time, and that's then, right. uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That checks so, out, that checks out. Not relatable at all, no idea what that means, <laughs> but uh, hypothetically, I assume that's very hard. <laughs> well, let's talk about her biggest secret in a little bit more detail, we've obviously already been talking about it, but uh, Marie Santeca makes a statement to Vern on page 377. She says, I have a gift for you. One last path before I pass on. It was always meant for you. Specifically for Vernestra Rowe. That's really interesting, right? And later Mm -hmm. on page 399, we see Santeca give that path to Vern. And this is the the passage we get. For half of a heartbeat, Vernestra hesitated. But then she closed her eyes and reached out to the half-dead woman. The woman reached back, the connection like and unlike a force bond. For a moment, nothing happened, but then Vernestra began to see flashes of the old woman's life, a childhood spent on on an idyllic planet, her first trip through hyperspace, and then something different, the blue of hyperspace, seemingly less random and more deliberate, diverting and flowing in the same way Vernestra perceived the force, a rushing, branching, fluid thing that could be charted and mapped and explored. And then Vernestra saw it, the path a proper thing to be named and followed and remembered. Vernestra felt the memory of it being carved on her mind. No matter what happened, she would know how to get there. The place beyond the edge of the galaxy where no living thing should go and no one had gone for a very, very long time. So 
Do you guys think that her visions tie back to the rumor that was presented in this book that the earliest travelers through hyperspace were Jedi who accessed it using the Force? No, they were squids. <laughs> they were squids. Uh, Corey, they were whale squids. It's pronounced squibs, um, and they're not the same as muggles. They're slightly different, but anyways. I do love that idea, though. I mean, I like I, that, too. Or does it tie back? Do you think it ties back to skywalking? Skywalking on them haters, you know? Um, <laughs> from, from the Thrawn novels, um, it, it sounded a little oh, bit like, so like skywalking. Or they were blue children. They weren't squids or Jedi. It was little blue kids. So are you That's saying the, the, the visions that she's had when she goes into hyperspace, they were all meant to come to this one point with Marie Santeca, and now that she knows, she's not going to have visions anymore? I don't know. Will mm-hmm. she have more visions? I think That's she'll. I think she'll keep either. getting them. Yeah, but like, regardless, she's gonna tell everybody that they're not important. <laughs> yeah, until yeah. until they like cripple her or something. Until I mean, visions have always been such a thing in Star Wars. And, uh, no pun intended for Star Wars. Visions coming out in September. Um, <laughs> but like you know, the vision that Skier has, the vision that Elzar has, Ahsoka and the in that, the Clone Wars. There's a whole arc Ahsoka, dedicated like, to that. Absolutely, like. And I think the the fact that they do come true in this are, are are now I think freaking her out even more because I think if you have visions that don't come true you're like eh, I'm having weird dreams the force is being weird but if you start <laughs> having to think like wait am I 16 years old and can I see the future uh, <laughs> and like, she did she did bring up being a way seeker is this what way seekers feel when you're being pushed by the force and pulled by the force at the yep. same time yep. so was, that could be another thing where. Does Vernestra leave the order and become a way seeker? It'd be I, it'd be interesting to see her be a way seeker. Is she part of the Lost Twenty? She's such a stickler for mm-hmm. for order and for propriety and that kind of stuff. Or at least she was. We see her questioning a lot of that in this novel. Mm. It'd be very mm. interesting to see her kind of loosely, I don't know, a, mm. adjacent to the order in the form yeah. of a way seeker. Mm. Yeah. So I could dig. I mean, hey, we got couple, we got years. So last big question here: Santeca's yeah. final path leads to. I'm going to say this quote again: the place beyond the edge of the galaxy where no living thing should go, and no one had gone for a very, very long time. Any thoughts on what this could be referring to, or, mm. or where this is going? It's Ezra. That's- it's Ezra. Um, no, it's uh, all Ezra. Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is the introduction of time travel in Star Wars, yeah. guys. Oh, my Ex- God. It's Exegol. Uh, yeah, where Exegol. no living thing should go, but somebody has been there a mm. while back, or something has Is it been where there, they though. got the leveler from in the first place mm. before they put it in ice? Maybe as Ooh. maybe with uh, with all mysteries in Star Wars, it's the uh, what's the place with the like Mortis and the the grandfather? Oh. The, world between worlds. Maybe yeah, that's world what it is. Or Mortis. I mean, <laughs> maybe you, maybe you can get there on, on hyperspace. Or Mortis. Maybe it is Mortis. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of interesting. Oh my god! Beyond the edge of the galaxy. The, the I don't part know what that, that says means. beyond the edge of the galaxy made me think about no space, like the weird area of space mm-hmm. that the Nile have. But obviously, they've all yeah. been there, so. It's very strange. Well, no one had gone for a very long time. That's because also when yeah. they, if Marie Santeca is saying very long time, right. it's been a bit. When nine hundred <laughs> years old, <laughs> you <know? laughs> so. Um, I think uh, it's a big plot know. point. No we don't have the answers. I like it. We is. don't have the yeah. answers. And I, I like it, that I'm they did you, this. There's so much open-ended. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, this was at the very end of the book. Yeah. 
It was. <laughs> yeah. It was. Hey, it also, maybe it's that place where, y- where Yoda goes in season six, like where the wills are. Mm, you yeah, know, maybe that's it's like. Interesting. Again, it could. I think that's the beautiful thing about the High Republic, right? Is that it could be a really cool reference, or it could be something brand new. Yeah. That's also really yeah. cool. Like, you yeah, know, they yeah. have so many options available. And the fact that now there's there's no way they can accidentally find out about it unless Vern willfully gives it up because Marie's mm-hmm. gone. She do, she wrote it down nowhere. There's she no backup drive. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't back up the hard drive to make sure that if Vern <laughs> dies. They can figure it out. Marie so. Santeco was for sure Windows 97 or whatever. Ow, <laughs> without question. Did, when she died, did it go boom, 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 boom? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. That's not All right. Well, let's talk about some Easter eggs, connective tissue, and random thoughts. Of course, I promise I try to only include the best. Let's go ahead and run through Thank these. You. On page one, that's right, page one of this book, Nostra Berry Wine is mentioned, which is an alcoholic beverage from the planet Dalna that first appeared in A Test of Courage. So Justina Ireland bringing some of her own creations back nice and early. On page two, we have a quote here that says, if they had still been part of the Bind Guild, which was dissolved because of its abuse of indentured crews, there would have been some protection from creditors. But without the guaranteed jobs and profit sharing of the guild, Syl was at the mercy of her own business sense. And now, you know, that's obviously talking about events that happened in Claudia Gray's Into the Dark. But I think it's interesting to see the downside to a moment that was touted as so positive and victorious from yeah, the point of totally. Hollow previously. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? On page mm-hmm. nine, coaxium is mentioned. Later on that same page, mm-hmm. spinefish are mentioned, which were first created for Galaxy Guide 12, Aliens, Enemies, and Allies, a supplement to Star Wars, the role-playing game. So it's my third favorite galaxy guide supplement. Yes. Uh, yeah. I agree. Great. Don't worry. There's more coming up later. There's actually yes. a lot from oh, the role playing game w- made its way into this novel. It's really interesting. Um, I love on that. page 17. Emery is talking about his new lightsaber and he says, and I promise I will not lose this one. Okay. Anakin. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this weapon is your, your life. life. <laughs> <laughs> a new master. Trimester. <laughs> <laughs> he literally says master like four times in that scene. It's just like save it, save oh, it for attack of the clones. Shoot commentary. in there to run, not to hide. Yes, master. Where are you going? Hey, master? If you looked into Ewan's eyes, Before wouldn't you? All right, on page twenty-two, <laughs> Vern. Uh, we're talking about Vern here, and the quote says, "Otherwise, she would maybe find a way to spend all her time basking in the calm tranquility of the cosmic force and never return to the messy day-to-day business of the living force." And while that's definitely mm. not a comment about our actual podcast of the same name, it really does seem <laughs> yeah. to apply. Like the Both tranquility of, of the cosmic Every force time. and the messy day to day of the living force. It's so <laughs> that's, that's, that's so true. That's right. Wow, called out. Right uh, on page twenty-eight, yeah. Reith and Comac are talking, and we have the quote: "Master Comac, did you really need um, all sixty-four volumes of Lyric Schmeierlin's <laughs> Almanac of the Unknown?" Reith asked. The data tape edition has a few locations and some information. The data bank version does not. Master Comac said. <laughs> And I just had a new first thought. Lyric Schmeierlin sounds like Ned Schneebly from uh, School of Rock. Um, second of all, 
This sounds like something that Trevor would say from the team. Like, oh, yes, there's a little does. bit yeah, of information that wasn't included. You have to have all of them. And and last of all, fun fact, Larrick Schmierland was a male explorer that the Republic hired to catalog planets throughout space. And his almanac was used by Avon Starris' droid J6 to identify the planet Wevo in a test of courage. So that was a kind of a cooler yeah. deep cut from that story. I also wonder Very. if Justina Ireland has a, has a relative named Eric because that's something she should be Eric Schmierland. <laughs> like they do that all the time. <laughs> I, I also have to wonder, like, like this is implied that these are heavy books, right? Yes. And like, and we all kind of laugh. It's like, okay, it's it's a funny <laughs> joke. That there's that these multiple volumes set, but like. I mean, it's kind of like known knowledge that there's not like a lot of books and paper and stuff like in Star Wars. In fact, like mm -hmm. that was even in this book when uh, when what's his name, the rich dude, like he wrote a note in an envelope, right? Yeah. And, they, yes. and they made a big deal out of it. Remember, it's like, oh god, paper. He's really rich, right? Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> like, what is this? Oh, no. I think, think Waterworld data tapes, though. <laughs> I think they were like not not. Is that what it was? Themselves. It wasn't implied okay. in books. Why are they still so heavy? I mean, God, uh, how heavy is a floppy disk? Know, Maybe they're on man. floppy disks, and, and like only like only like three paragraphs can be on each one. So there's like Listen, hundreds of in them. In 1995, <laughs> Titanic took two cassette tapes. Okay, like it's just... yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. I can buy that. I can buy that. All right. So, on page 30, uh, Reith has a meal in Starlight Beacon's cafeteria, which includes blue butter, which I presume is made by churning blue milk. <laughs> do you get it that's it i can't even argue all right that. Oh, <laughs> my God. 38 nan uh on on mark and row says it gave nan a thrill every time she saw him like this helmet off black hair free to hang over his bare leathery skin and his star marked <laughs> shoulders his pitiless eyes were all black, and Nan stood close enough she could see the slight ruffle on the edge of his ears. The row thirst is real, guys. Woo! It is. Oh, my goodness. It so There's been a lot of chatter. There's been a lot of chatter online of, like, row thirst as, like, a joke kind of, but it's, like, it has worked its way into the actual material it has. at this point. Yeah, He's hot. Yeah. Straight up. His, his, his voice by by Mark Thompson does not fit his body at all. I no. can't say that. It's just every time I, I – yeah, I just every time I see his picture, well, I'm, I'm like, curious. Yeah, it's not actually him. I'm curious him. now if our voices fit our bodies. If you're listening to this and you've never tuned in live, <laughs> please check out our YouTube and uh, email us, yep. CEO at utini.com, about whether our voice – fits our bodies thank you and before you listen just go to a random point in the video pause and don't hear anything and pick which voice you think goes with which just face guess. just guess i think that'd be fun so on page 39 uh the very next page we have this quote here mark and Rowe picked up a small object next to his chair and threw it at the authorian nan had only a glimpse of it before it attached to the authorian's face the other pirate pulled at the thing, which Nan now could see, was one of the sticky charges the Nile sometimes used to get through particularly stubborn airlocks. <laughs> yeah. There was no time for the authorian to say anything before the entire top half of his body exploded, the detonation also taking out his friends who stood too close to him. The rest of the Nile didn't even flinch. It wasn't a party without at least a little murder. <laughs> 
So there's no facts here. I just wanted to say, damn. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> tell me, Tell me that you did not read this scene without thinking of a plasma grenade in Halo. When you throw it. 100%. <laughs> yeah. You throw 100%. it with little grunts, and they're like, ah! <laughs> they blow up. So there's, yeah, a, there's, there's a small hole in the crowd that's watching Marky on row where it's dead people. But then there's also people within the crowd outside of that radius that got parts of bodies on them and they're just like they just keep on going yes. with their day to day they don't even wipe <laughs> like, it off whatever man walk it off baby walk it off um, on page 78 Vern says when I was a Padawan I thought all the older Jedi had figured everything out and that the force would give me that same kind of insight when I became a knight but here I am more than a year later and I still just feel confused and conflicted as I did when I was a youngling and I just want to point out, it's comforting to know that imposter syndrome affects Jedi too, <laughs> right? It's right. so helpful. It's so helpful. And, and who would have thought that 16-year-olds would look back at their 15-year-old self and be like, man, I thought I would have it all figured it does, out by now. It does make me laugh because it sounds like a 16-year-old. No offense to any 16-year-olds that, that listen to this. That she's like, now, more than a whole year later, I don't have this all figured out yet. It's like, okay. Well, at least once I'm 25, uh, I'll know how the world works. Yes, exactly. And be able to rent a car or a vector. I'll, I'll, a vector. If I don't have a house by the time I'm 30, I'll just kill myself. Like, well. <laughs> all, right. all right, page 84, Vern oh, again. Uh, we're talking about here, and the quote says, She woke some nights to the wailing of the people hurt in the attack, the cries of pain and terror echoing in her mind, even though it had been weeks. Master Josiah, a Jedi counselor who helped ensure Jedi remained balanced after terrible events, had told her once that remembering was part of how one dealt with the pain and trauma of a disaster. But Vernestra would have liked to remember it a bit less. Her anger toward the Nile could become a liability if she gave into it completely instead of acknowledging it, letting it go, and remembering her oath as a Jedi. So Jedi had therapists, first of all. And, and <laughs> why didn't Anakin ever go see one? Like, <laughs> where was Josiah at? Oh my god! Um, also, oh, it, man, if I had a dollar for all the times that me and Caitlin have talked about how Caitlin or how uh, Anakin needs therapy because yes. Caitlin's a therapist, like he yes, needed a right. Josiah. <laughs> it just works, and and it also is nice here to remember that even our heroes in fantasy stories need help, right? That, that was a nice kind of right. that's right inclusive Absolutely. fact. Um, 84, Emery asks to go to the mm -hmm. opera house when they arrive on Coruscant, where Palpatine tells Anakin the tragedy yep. of Darth Pelagius the Wise. Mm -hmm. On page 86, someone is mentioned to be in a hover chair. And it's another moment of inclusion because, as far as I know, that may be the first time we've ever seen like a wheelchair equivalent in Star Wars. There have been hover oh, sleds for huts that's a good and point. stuff yeah. like that. But I don't, Absolutely. Right. Yeah, I don't know that we've ever seen a hover chair. Um, so that was interesting. Sick. Right. Professor X is, type. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. On page 89, Master Nabarin, the Jedi shipmaster of Starlight Beacon, is introduced as a Philar Nitsen. And this is a legend species described as gaseous, similar to a storm cloud with eyes. And it was first created <laughs> for Alliance Intelligence Reports, a supplement to none other than Star Wars, the role-playing game, published in 1995. <laughs> Awesome. Excellent. Cool edition. It's fart from Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I will God. never see that the same. Thank you for that. Um, on welcome. page 111, Master Comac says Historically, <clears throat> fighting the Republic's battles hasn't always gone well for the Order. And this statement in particular was made in regards to a quote, long ago massacre on Dalna. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So remember, in the rising storm, statements were made by Marky and Rose's cousin, Kufa, about the quote unquote faithful. <laughs> and she mentions Dalna. She says this You've seen it out there, seen them with their golden robes and flashing blades, so resplendent, so glorious, the guiding light of the galaxy. They are guiding us to destruction. The faithful know it as we knew it on Jeddah, as we knew it on Dalna. So whatever happened on Dalna may be directly tied to the creation of the Nile. I think we might learn about this massacre moving forward. Awesome. Mm, Please. On page 134, girly and fur is mentioned, and this is a specific textile produced from a type of lichen on the planet Hynestia that was first featured in Lando's Luck by Justina Ireland. Mm-hmm. On page nice, 143, nice. we have this quote. This was probably not the time to tell the woman that Vernestra did not particularly care for blasters. Why would one need such a crude weapon when one had a lightsaber? And I just have to agree. <laughs> they're very uncivilized, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on 164, we have this quote. Syl had only seen one other Gungan in her life, and that one had spoken basic with an odd patois that made him seem silly and a bit stupid, an affectation he used so he could more easily separate his marks from their money in the dockside gambling dens. So is Jar Jar faking it? Is that, is that? No, he's, <laughs> no. he's just, he's just actually a moron. Just, this guy was, was yeah, pretending okay. to be a moron. This guy was great. He was pretending to be Jar Jar. Okay. That's right. On page 166, it's mentioned that Professor Wolk taught Chansey Yarrow at the Academy of Corita. And while this has already been canonized in a slew of other projects, including Solo, A Star Wars Story, and the Tarkin novel, it has pretty extensive legends roots as a military academy that was used by both the Republic and the Empire during various eras. And we actually see it come awesome. into play in Tempest Runner as well. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Yep, yep. 169, Tonnerre Wine from Alderaan is mentioned. On page what? 180, a weak vendor tries to sell the Jedi, quote, authentic kyber crystals from the holy city of Jeddah. So that's yep, yep. Awesome. nice reference. Obviously uh, fake. Probably yep, not yep. real. Uh, real quick, Charles, <laughs> I'm looking at the outline, and you're going to a page, and you're skipping over my favorite Easter egg. So I'm going to insert from page 185. Okay. Um, you are lost, came a familiar voice, and Vernestra oh, turned boy. around to see Master Yaddle yes. walking toward her. Yes. Oh my Yo, God. Yaddle season, baby. It's the only note I took in all caps. <laughs> Yaddle's in the book. Yaddle. Yaddle. I think back. I think also, I, also, yes. Yaddle, Master Yaddle, how are you? I thought you were still on sabbatical. Which is also where Yoda was in the High Republic Adventures, which means there's a Yoda Yaddle adventure that we're not getting yet. Write it. Making, what are they doing? Yes, you're right. I know what they're doing. They're making little Grogu's. Is what they're oh, doing. That's right. That's Grosku. They're they're getting Grogu. <laughs> I don't get it. Grosku up in there. Okay. Anyway, Yaddle's in the book, and I I freaked out. So Charles, continue, continue. <laughs> please. On, on page two fourteen, Cinetines are mentioned, and you know those are the guys where the, their entire heads look like brains. And they were first seen in A New Hope, but featured several times in the Clone Wars TV show. Specifically, there was a guy named Brick who was a Cinetine. Uh-huh. And fun fact here <laughs> that will forever help you remember this species name in the future. Cinetine is an anagram for Einstein because their oh entire head is a brain. 
Awesome. Of yes. It is. Great. Uh, I can't picture this at all. I'll look this up later. No, Look it all makes up. sense. You'll, you'll recognize them. On page 215, <laughs> we have this quote, the San Tecas had always been a bit hard scrabble, but they suddenly ran into a bit of luck, mapping new routes through places like the Relgum Run and the Bitmus Cloud, high-value routes. And the Relgum Run originated in Legends in Riders of the Maelstrom, a 1989 supplement to Star Wars The Role-Playing Game. And prior to right. Out of the Shadows, it was brought back to canon in Star Wars Smuggler's Guide, where it was mentioned on a warrant that was only included in the deluxe edition of that book. Why? Really? I don't pay the big bucks. Yes, you know? quite the stretch. <laughs> on page 252, Vern uses force speed as an ability, and that's something that we pretty rarely see, so that was cool. Yeah. On I, see it, yep, I see it as a Menace. cheat in Warzone all the time, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been playing Star Wars Kotor two on my phone lately, and like uh, it's impossible to walk around without that that activated. It's just you walk too slow. So if I was a Jedi, I would use it literally twenty four seven. Use for speed when you talk to an Authorian. That is all that I would. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listen. I tried to I tried to screen cap I, I, talking to an Authorian the other day, but I, I couldn't make it happen very well. So next time, let us know. On page 262, Wreath says, Master Comac, Master Stellan, I uh, have a bad feeling about this, which is carrying out the classic, classic. tradition. Love it. On 266, Moof Juice is mentioned, which is a beverage you can go get at Docking Bay 7, Food and Cargo at Galaxy's Edge. I will not be doing don't, that. You don't I will. Get it, but <laughs> I will. Next month, hashtag oh, really? uh, Eric goes to Galaxy's Edge in October. I'm going to Disneyland for my birthday week. What? Uh, film so, it. Tell film it. I bought my plane Jealous. tickets. Uh, I also, Freddie, respond to my Slack message. I asked you if I can stay with you. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Please uh, film it, put it on the YouTube channel, and steal one of uh, Freddy's awesome Star Wars artifacts and bring it back to me. Thank I, you. I will get you that Obi-Wan Mythos statue. Yes, I know what you want. You. <laughs> uh, on page 302, we have this quote. Jordana had always been a bit of a Force enthusiast. Her interest usually focused on the numerous ways cultures related to it. And she had even said she wanted to study the Force if she ever left TK and went to university. Have you ever heard of the Church of the Force? My uncles are very into it, something that people have become enamored with on Naboo. They mentioned it to me in passing during my last situation report a month or so ago, and I've been thinking about it ever since. And so it must run yeah. in the family, mm-hmm. because remember, Lor Santeca, who we talked about earlier, is a That's member right. of the Church of the Force when we meet him in The Force Awakens. So... Yeah, that was a really good Easter egg. Yeah. And yep. the ref- the reference to the to the uncles, that's the two Santecas that were in... Yes. Um, in Light of the what, Jedi. Light of the Jedi. Okay. Yeah, that's them. Mm -hmm. On page 316, Vern refers to her visions as, and I quote, hyperspace tripping. And I would have thought that that name (laughs) was already taken by some of the Niles activities, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, On page 356, we learn that the Niles toxic gas is actually derived from one used by the Zygerians to help suppress slave uprisings. And we also oh, learn right. that sasa berry juice can help fight its Dark. effects. So the Jedi better start planting some sasa berry bushes, like, real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> On page 365, Zeltros is mentioned. I'm not too funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> and Zeltros is a vacation destination that, uh, of Dr. Afra's in her 2016 comic run. So that was oh, cool. sick. On 362, someone says, who in the Twin Suns is the eye? And all I have to say is, don't mention Tatooine's solar system in vain. God, that's terrible. <laughs> and lastly, dare you. on 415, Xylan leaves a note and a token of some kind for Syl. 
And he wrote in his note, while my funds have been frozen by the Republic and the rest of my assets seized, I have a friend on Takodana who is always looking for enterprising new partners. You should look her up and give her this when you get there. And so it's confirmed several page late, pages later that that is, in fact, Maz <clears throat> Kanata. I'm curious about this token, mm-hmm. though. And I wonder if maybe we saw it like in the background somewhere in like the chest where the lightsabers were or something like that in yeah. The Force Awakens. I've been meaning to go back and watch some of those scenes. But that's all I got, mm. guys, for Easter eggs. I, th- I think I think you're confused because this was this was Maz Kanata. Oh, Maz Kanata yeah. in this book. Her <laughs> evil I think twin. It's Maz's cousin. Her evil twin yeah. Maz. That's right. All right, so that's all I have, guys. Let's re-rate this book one to ten and give me any final thoughts. Let's just go in the same order we did before. So, Wesley, okay, um, I'm going to keep my original score at six point nine. Um, my the major thing for me to to rate it uh, lower than what I have before is a lot of the details that I have read came at the end of the book, much like everybody was talking about before. Um, I did like, however, how they um, how Justina had put a lot of emphasis on Vern and how she is going to be it, or needs to be a key Jedi going forward in the high Republic. Cause she has these secrets and where leaves us kind of on the edge of our seat of where, what she's going to do with these secrets and what she's going to do with this path that has, mm-hmm. hasn't been used for a very, very long mm-hmm. time. Um, kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it, a lot of the, like just a lot of the information that kind of built up all the way to the end of the book, um, I'm not sure it needed to be in there, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. I mean, but it it was a young adult novel. I get it. I understand all the the, the context behind it. Um, but the having kind of felt like it was crammed in at the end um, kind of made me yeah. level the book down a little bit more than it should. Agreed. <clears throat> yeah, I gave this book a six point eight, which is in the mediocre category for our scoring, and I will bump it up to. I seven, which puts it in the okay category, which is a little more neutral. I feel like, I mean, everything is relative. Like this mm-hmm. book, like maybe doesn't really matter that much uh, in the grand scheme of like phase one of the high Republic, but like the, some of the major plot points really hit hard and like, are going to have lasting value. I think in a, this book probably did an introduction for a lot of cool stuff. So, you know, I, I there's redeeming qualities. Did take a long time to get into the book, though. I will say there was some conflicting stuff. I feel like with some of the characters we've seen already in other works, and mm-hmm. um, but y- you know, it's a young adult book, so the stakes are not quite as high in general with young adult books. So, totally. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay at my eight point four as well, which is um, I know easily the highest among us, but I will say. Uh, I still, it's, it's not one of my favorites in the world. I did like this book probably better than Into the Dark, if we're going in High Republic um, rankings, I guess, which mm-hmm. we don't need mm-hmm. to, but just for reference, uh, it's probably the closest mm-hmm. I have to it. I still, like you said, I liked the last, 100, 150 really did a lot for me, and I do yeah. think, the more we talk about it, I'm going to be thinking this a lot in retrospect, based on what happens down the line. No, that is admittedly rating a book based on the hypothetical future, which, who, whatever, it's my rating. Yeah, uh, classic, but like, classic. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a different thing. But I thought that the characters were written really nicely. Um, not the kind of pace I would always want with the book, but I think is is perfectly fine in the middle of this kind of wave and gets us ready for uh, whatever Wave 3 is going to do to us in January, which I I know we have, like, what, four months until then? I, I don't think it's enough <laughs> so time. So many books. I don't think it's then. enough time for me to mentally prepare for what's going to happen based on, <laughs> on this. So yeah. I like where this is going, and I'm excited to, to hear – 
Charles your Easter eggs for future books. That link back to this one. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and and so I don't think any of us really budged very much, uh, and I'm kind of in the same vein. I think I gave this, what was it, a 6.7? I'll, I'll give it a 6.8. Um, I, I like a lot of the aspects at the end of this book, mm-hmm. like we're saying, the things that are going to have implications in later books, but if I'm just looking at this book in and of itself, and I'm reading this book, it was one of my least favorite uh, that has come out of the High Republic so far. Um, and I, I, when I sit down and I dedicate a bunch of time to read a book, I want to feel like the book itself is a big deal, mm-hmm. not that it's all <coughs> set up, which is kind of how I, I felt like this book was. So that's where I'm yeah, coming totally at it from. Um, but that's it, guys. That's, that's all we got. So Eric, take us home. All right. What I'm going to do before we get out of here, I just want to give a little preview to folks. Uh, first of all, thank you for watching our episode, listening to this roundtable, however you did it. Uh, it does mean a lot to us. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, looking ahead next week, I'm going to try to start doing this the best I can. Um, we will be having a crossover event within the Utini Podcast Network. Uh, we're going to be talking about women in Star Wars. Uh, with us, Legends Look Back on the Cosmic Force, we will be having some guests from within our very own Utini staff on next week to talk about the role of women both in creating Star Wars and featuring in Star Wars. Um, it's been a hell of a year for women in the fandom, uh, both on screen and just reading writing creating in general so we're going to celebrate that next week we hope to see you for that and if you want to get a head start on our next round table our round table on kevin scott's tempest runner will be another two-parter and that will be starting on the 27th of this month so three weeks from tonight we'll be doing our next round table two parts you have till then the audio drama is currently on audible and the review is on utini written and in our youtube channel if you want to watch the video so just a heads up for what's going on there But my friends, that will do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you support us on Patreon, we want to thank you for that support. We can't wait to hang out with you very soon to watch some Rogue One. And of course, a special thank you to Cheryl Bell, OK Endar, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council. And Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, Freddie C., and Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command for their amazing support. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. Charles Zetzi Henkel. And Wes is at Boss West. A special thank you goes out to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire, and Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Corey Charles and Wes for potting with me tonight. Thanks to all of you in the chat for watching and all of you at home for listening. And as always, may the force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the force will be with you. Always.